You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Hey, everybody, it's Robin McMahon here. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future and welcome back to a really serious topic. We are talking today about the addicted child, and I am honored to have Richard Capriola here. He has been a mental health and addictions counselor for over two decades. He's been licensed in, licensed in Illinois and Texas and recently retired from the Menninger Clinic, which is one of the nation's top 10 psychiatric hospitals. While at Menninger, he treated adolescents and adults diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse issues. And he's the author of a brand new book on adolescent substance abuse titled The Addicted Child. Uh, and it's a parent's guide to adolescence and substance abuse. Oh my goodness, Richard, thank you so much for being here. This is a subject that freaks us all out. <laughs> it freaks us out from the minute our baby's born, I think, <laughs> right? Oh, oh, thank you, Robin. Um, I, I really appreciate your taking the time to visit with me today and for us to talk about this very serious subject of adolescent substance abuse and, and hopefully provide some information and some resources for parents mm -hmm. so that they can become more familiar with this subject and have resources if needed uh, that will be available to them. So I really appreciate your taking the time to help me reach out to parents and families about adolescent substance abuse. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, this is, this is a topic we can't ignore. And, um, you know, I know that as a parent, you know, I've got teen boys myself. And, and so look, we're, I'm entering into this stage now where there is going to be some experimentation, I assume, and it scares the heck out of me. So um, this is just as much about me or for me. As <laughs> so I'm going to selfishly ask you questions. But what you and I have talked about is that this is not going to be our only conversation because we know that we are just going to really um, sort of scratch the surface of this big topic and, and see if we can dive in a little deeper um, in, in future episodes as well. That would be great. And I'd be more than happy to respond to questions that any of your viewers, uh, you know, want to pose so that we can have a dialogue and a discussion that is directed more towards questions that they're interested in and their specific, their specific needs and questions as well. So that's great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we could just dive in and just talk about, okay, what are the most popular substances that adolescents are gravitating towards these days? They are still gravitating towards alcohol. That's very popular among mm -hmm. teenagers and marijuana. Those are the two most popular substances that they are gravitating to. There is some use in over-the-counter drugs like Ritalin, mm -hmm. or not uh, some pre and prescription drugs like Ritalin and Adderall. Uh, but the larger percentages are in alcohol and marijuana. Now, what we have noticed in the last three years, there has been a surge uh, a dramatic increase in the number or the percentage of, of, of high school students who are vaping. Uh, vaping is yeah. where vaping is where they inhale a they inhale a, a vapor 
Um, and, and, and it can be uh, marijuana or it can be nicotine. Some of them have fruit flavors associated with them. But in the last three years, there's been a dramatic increase in adolescents vaping. For example, if we just look at, uh, at uh, marijuana vaping among seniors, the number of seniors vaping marijuana has gone from 9% to 22% in just three years. And among juniors, it's gone from 8% to 19%. And so those are dramatic increases in just a few years. If we look at nicotine, vaping nicotine, uh, the percentage of seniors who are vaping nicotine has gone from 18 to 34% just in three years. So there has been a dramatic increase in vaping. And, 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 and what some of the studies are showing is that um, for both adults and kids who vape, they have been reporting some difficulties in concentration and remembering. Um, another study found that students who started vaping between the ages of 8 and 13 were more likely to report difficulty in concentrating and remembering than those students who started vaping at age 14 or older. So a little bit more damage from uh, eight, ages 8 to 13. Some of that has to do with brain development, but, yeah. but, but vaping is a very serious problem. And okay, I mean, I can't even believe we're talking about age eight to 13. I mean, that just seems like they're babies to me. I get <laughs> that it's just shocking. Um, and, and vape is definitely, yeah, it's, it's the new thing, right? And, and so I, uh, you know, maybe we could talk about a little bit of the difference between vaping uh, a nicotine product versus um, a marijuana product. Is there uh, a difference in the damage that it can do, lung, brain? you know, is there a difference there or is it just all bad? Well, it's all bad, but when you talk to kids, they will tell you, well, I'm, I'm vaping nicotine, but it's, it's, it's better than smoking cigarettes. And to a certain extent, they're right, because when you smoke cigarettes, you get tobacco and in tobacco comes nicotine, but hundreds of other uh, chemicals as well. So they will say, well, I'm, I'm just vaping and that's just nicotine. That's better than smoking cigarettes. And we have seen a dramatic decline in the number of students smoking cigarettes. They're, they're, they're switching from smoking cigarettes to vaping nicotine. But the problem with that is that when they vape nicotine, they are getting higher concentrations of nicotine and, and more than what they would get in, in smoking cigarettes. So they're not getting the carcinogens and all the chemicals in tobacco and cigarettes, but they are getting higher concentrations of nicotine, which makes it more addictive. Yeah. Uh, and whether it's a cigarette or it's a vapor, inhaling that substance into your lungs is is potentially very risky and damaging. Right. Yeah. I I have um, I've seen some information on it. How it is almost instantly addictive, and uh, and and they're craving it and finding sneaky ways of vaping uh, at school and and different things like that. So um, yeah. And so. Uh, you know, then you add in a marijuana uh, product in that vape and, and that, is that more concentrated too? Or, or is there, is it just like smoking a joint? I don't really know. 
Well, the marijuana that's out there today is not like the marijuana that was out there in the 60s uh, with Woodstock and, and, and that generation. Uh, the, the, the THC, which is the psychoactive uh, component of marijuana, was maybe 2 or 3%. But now it has been refined so that you can get very high concentrations of marijuana. Um, and, and, and we have edibles and we have vapes and we have all kinds of ways of inhaling marijuana. But uh, the concentrations are much higher, which means means the risk of doing damage is, is much more severe. And when we are talking about adolescence, we are talking about a brain that is not fully developed. Uh, an adolescent brain does, does, uh, does not become fully developed until they reach 24, 25. So when you start to put these substances into a developing brain, then you risk doing a lot more damage. Yeah, lifelong damage, right? Could be, yes, potentially it could be. That's right. Yeah. So, so okay. So we've got alcohol and pot as the 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 top ones. We've got some. Um, uh, we've got drugs that are prescription drugs. Are there any over the counter drugs like Sudafed or? Uh, I had heard that there was there were some things kids were taking large quantities of to get to get high. When we look at the over-the-counter medications, we're, we're basically focusing on uh, things like cough syrup, uh, cough medicine. Um, the kids will uh, use use that. Roughly about three percent of, of of students, so it's not a very high percentage, but about three percent of them will use over-the-counter cough medicine. Sometimes they'll mix it with other fruit flavors, uh, but yes, that's probably the most uh, most widely used over-the-counter one. When we look at prescription drugs, uh, where you, you know, maybe 7% of seniors are using some type of prescription drug. And, and a lot of those focus on things like Ritalin and Adderall. Uh, Adderall is more widely prescribed than Ritalin. So it's more likely to be abused. Um, roughly 4% of seniors are, are, are abusing Adderall compared to 2% on Ritalin. So when we look at these type of over-the-counter drugs, um, I would say that we look at things like Ritalin and Adderall, sometimes prescribed to your own kid. Um, yes. And sometimes those kids will sell them to others. If they're mm -hmm. not prescribed, they may pick them up at school from another kid. So um, it's just something that parents need to be aware of. If you have any prescription drugs at home, uh, you should make sure that they are very secure. Wow. Yeah, that is really good advice. Now, I mean, this may be a silly question, but why? Why are kids so drawn to, to this at, at, in these adolescent years? It varies. Um, you know, there's not just one one answer that, that fits all kids. Uh, certainly some of them do it uh, because of peer pressure. Some of it do, do it to fit in with, with other kids. They, they seek that approval. Um, some of them do it just to experiment to see what it's like, and then they find out they like it and they keep going. Um, but, a, but a large number of them that I've worked with have have been using drugs to medicate an underlying psychological issue. For example, just about all of the kids that I worked with who told me that they were smoking a lot of marijuana, and sometimes multiple times a day, when I asked them to help me understand why they're smoking marijuana, the number one answer that I got back from them was it helps my anxiety. It helps me with my anxiety. Um, so, my point is that 
you have to look beyond just the substance use. You have to look to see if there's an underlying reason why a child might be using a substance because you may very well find out that they are using that substance to medicate an underlying issue. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be uh, on any number of issues that could be driving that child to use those substances to sort of auto-medicate uh, an underlying feeling. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So does that mean that if you have a child that, um, I know a lot of kids that are on medication that are on an anti-anxiety medication, do you see that the chances of them experimenting is less or just as likely? Um, it's, it's, Probably just as likely, um, you know, once once they're on a prescribed medicine, they get that feeling of feeling good. Um, you know, hopefully they will stay with that medication and use it as prescribed. That's the danger right. that they begin right. to use it that in a way that is not prescribed. They might abuse it. They might take echo, uh, extra doses or they may end up selling it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, well, what are some warning signs um, that parents can, can look for? I, I ask parents <clears throat> to pay attention to any changes that they see in their child. Um, and, 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 and to not ignore them or simply say, well, that's just normal adolescent behavior. It may, it may very well be normal adolescent behavior, but it may also be an indication that something's going on. So the kinds of changes that, that I'm talking about is if you see a, a change in their behavior, a change in their appearance. Uh, for example, you may have a child who used to participate in sports, no longer is interested in participating in sports. You may have a child who was very careful and very proud about their appearance, now doesn't care about their appearance. You may have a child who uh, very openly introduced you to their friends. You knew who their friends were. You may have even known who their friends' parents were, now becomes very secretive about their friends. Um, if you have a child who was earning very good grades and now you see those grades start to decline, these are all warning signs that we need to pay attention to. And the more of these signs that we see, the more likely there's an underlying issue going on that you need to investigate. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's good. So behavior, appearance, you know, secretive about things and like friends, uh, grades falling behind. Yeah. It's, it's usually the change that means there's something going on. Right? Exactly. Really aware of it. And, and, you know, look, as, as, as a parent coach myself working with parents, you know, I know the importance of having an open and honest relationship with your kids where they can come to you at any time. So yeah. I want to add in to, to say that, look, you, you, you want to be able to cultivate a strong relationship with your child all throughout the, you know, these years, the younger years and into adolescence so that you can have these conversations and get the truth, right? Because if they think you're going to flip out, they're going to hide it even more, right? Robin, that is so, so very important. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I have been asked in the past by parents, well, my child's not a teenager, they're a preteen. What, what, what can I do to sort of protect them? And regardless of the age of your child, um, it's important that as parents, we begin to develop that relationship that you just described, that relationship of communication, that relationship of trust. And that takes, uh, that takes a skill and it takes work. We're, we're, we're never perfect at it, but we can become better. You know, 
Robin, we're very good at listening to people's words, but we're not so good at listening to the feelings behind the words. So when our child talks to us, we can hear the words, we can hear what they say, but do we understand and hear what they're feeling? And when we can cross that barrier and we can have a conversation with our child where we not only hear their words, but we hear and understand their feelings, then we've started to develop that foundation of trust and communication that will pay off down the road. And it's never too late to start that process. Your, your child may be 15, 16, 17. You still can begin that process of developing that relationship, but it really does come down to you know, learning the skills of, of, of listening to more than just their words and, and, and tuning into the feeling behind those words. Oh, that's so well said. Yes. And I love that you said it's never too late. It is never too late. Our kids really crave connection with us. They want yeah. it. And so when we offer it to them truly, openly, honestly, without judgment or criticism, then, you know, we are a safe place for them. And I talk about that all the time. I talk about validating emotions, that that is so vitally important, but you're absolutely right. You know, we often listen with judgment. We often listen, um, and we already have the, the answer that we, the thing that we want to say already, but we need to listen to understand. And I, I love that you've said to understand the emotion because it's absolutely true. Yes. Yes. They're feeling beings just like us. <laughs> they are, they have emotions, they have feelings, they have desires that they, they want acceptance. They want acceptance from their family, from their parents. Um, but, but they want to be able to have that conversation where they can talk about what's going on and, 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 and have a parent who structures that conversation so that you don't end up with just getting yes, no type of answers. You know, right. well, how'd your day go? Went fine. Okay, conversation's over. No, let's dig into it. Let's, let's see a little bit more about what's going on. Let's, let's explore the feelings and things that are going on behind it. The, and, 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 and it takes practice and skill to develop that. We, we, we all can do much better, no matter how much practice we have. So if you're a parent, my advice is work on that skill. You can develop it. You can become a really good listener and your mm -hmm. child and you will benefit. And not only is it going to help you with the conversation with your child, it's probably going to help you with the conversation with your husband, your wife, your aunt, mm -hmm. your uncle, and everybody else. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. I mean, you are, you are saying exactly what I say all the time, right? I help parents learn how to connect with their kids and really listen to their kids and yeah. um, it, because it is vitally important because we need to have a strong relationship. We also need to be a safe haven for them, right? An emotional yes. safe haven for them too. So they feel comfortable coming to us. And, uh, and if they think that, you know, when they come to us, like I said, they're going to freak out or be judged or be punished or whatever, they're not going to want to talk to us and we need them in these at this time when they have more freedom or autonomy that that they will come to us it's, it's, well it's interesting it's interesting that you say that because i do address part of that in my book about uh, about being judged because there have been studies that have asked kids well what is it that keeps you from uh, talking to your parents about things that are, are bothering you and and a, a majority of them say it's a fear of being judged yeah yeah, but if we can look at them as struggling and needing help, doesn't that totally soften your heart and change the way you see them? 
instead Absolutely. of being a bad kid, right? And, and I think that what we do too, is we take that behavior personally. We take their drug use maybe to, to say we're a bad parent and then it becomes about us and it's not about us. We need to go, we need to get over that for a minute and just go to our child, right? And find out what's, what's driving this. We do. And, and oftentimes we take it personally. Uh, and some of that comes from fear. So we want to jump in and we want to tell the kid, you got to stop doing this. If you do, you're not going to amount to anything. You're not going to graduate. And, and, and that's just going to set up a dynamic where the child pulls further and further away from us. Yeah, it's going to make them want to do it more, too. You know, yeah. like I got to numb myself even more. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so, you know, okay. So we've got kind of the warning signs here. Um, and, and I think we've sort of touched on what parents of preteens can do um, to make sure that they stay away from these illicit substances. Is there more than just that relationship piece that we, we should do? I, well, the relationship uh, piece is, is obviously a big component of it. But I think as parents, we need to be aware of the dangers that are out there. Um, and, and a large part of my book goes through and tries to uh, help parents uh, with an understanding of what drugs are out there. Uh, you know, what are they? How do you recognize them? How do you recognize the warning signs for alcohol? How do you recognize the warning signs for marijuana? Uh, what type of effect does it have? So there is a separate chapter on each one of the drugs that I think parents should be aware of. Even if, even if kids aren't using them to a great extent, it benefits parents to at least be aware of them. Keep, keep the book as a resource. Uh, you may not need it now other than maybe just to become familiar with the issue. You may know somebody who, who could benefit from the book. But I think um, aside from the communication skills and developing the relationship skills, parents should just become familiar with what's out there yeah uh, yeah absolutely i mean of course and and i can see the uh the urge to bury your head in the sand like i don't i don't want to look at that now i don't want to deal with that i don't want to see that but like it's the reality that we have to face right and we know that as part of teens evolution and growth is this um this sort of experimental phase where they're they are experimenting with things right they're they're prefrontal cortex is just starting to come online, you know, when they're, and, and, but they don't have a fully grown brain yet, like you said, which also means that they can't necessarily forecast consequences for themselves too. So you've got kids that are trying these really scary things and then not really brain-wise being able to understand what the actual consequences really are, right? That's right. That, that, that part of the brain, that prefrontal cortex is actually the, one of the last parts of the brain to fully mature. So in an adolescent, that part of the brain, which helps weigh consequences, so which helps weigh pros and cons, um, is, is not fully developed. And that part of the brain, uh, which we call the reward pathway, uh, which is where drugs really concentrate their effort and which really gives them the pleasurable sensation that we experience when we take drugs, that part of the brain is functioning at a higher level, so to speak, than the prefrontal cortex, the more rational part that weighs pros and cons. Um, and, and I put a 
a, a chapter in the book which deals with the neuroscience of, of mm -hmm. addiction to, to give parents a, an explanation of how drugs work in the adolescent brain. And I did not want it to be uh, a lot of jargon, a lot of technicalities. I wanted it to be something that uh, a parent could read in a very short period of time and walk away and know that they understand a little bit more about how these drugs work in the developing adolescent brain. Yeah, well, that's, that's really helpful because like, like, I mean, really, like we just sort of said that knowledge is power here. We need to understand. Yeah. We really need to understand. And so um, what do you do if you do suspect drug use? Well, the first or thing you do, abuse too. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, it could be alcohol. You're right. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. The first thing you do is have a have a conversation with your child, um, you know, or, or maybe several of them express express your concern. And and it gets back to, well, do you have that kind of relationship with your child where uh, they will open up and talk to you about this? Um, chances are you may not have that kind of relationship, and they may they may uh, pull away. They may not want to talk about it. They may deny it. Um, uh, but regardless of, uh, of, of the reaction that you get, um, if you suspect that your child is drinking alcohol or using a substance, you need to get that child assessed. And there is a chapter in my book that talks about the kinds of assessments that you should look for. It goes beyond just an assessment for alcohol and drugs. That's an important assessment. That's what I used to do is do an assessment and give a diagnosis on substance abuse. So, so you need to have an addictions assessment just so that you know the extent of the substance abuse. You, you, you need to know what drugs uh, or what substances your child has been using, how long have they been using them, and how extensive has the use been. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, you also will need a good physical examination because you want to know if there's anything physically that might be contributing to your child's behavior or perhaps to their substance use. And then you need a psychological evaluation or a neuropsychological evaluation, which gets to the underlying issues that may be there that are propelling your child to use a substance to medicate the feeling that they have. You know, we all have intolerable thoughts and feelings and memories and, and kids are no different than adults. We don't like them. And when we have them, we're going to do something about them. And um, sometimes in, in order to deal with those intolerable thoughts and feelings and memories, uh, a person will turn to a substance. So a, a psychological or a neuropsychological evaluation may uncover a lot of the uh, psychological issues that might be going on. It might be anxiety. It might be uh, uh, um, depression. Um, there might be a history of self-injury that you did not know anything about. I've seen a lot of kids who were self-injuring that their parents, you know, didn't catch on to for quite a while. Um, so there may be, uh, uh, what I'm saying is there may be a lot of underlying issues that you need to either rule out or know about and a good psychological evaluation and a neuropsychological evaluation evaluation uh, will, will help with that. And so where would you go for that? Well, I, in my book, I say you can start with uh, your primary care physician. 
Okay, that's the first person to start with. They often can make referrals. Sometimes they can do a, a rapid screen like on alcohol and drugs, but, but you'll need a much more extensive uh, addictions assessment than that. But they are a good source for referrals. Uh, another good source would be your school counselor. Uh, they also um, uh, can, can be a good source of referrals for um, psychologists, psychiatrists in the community. So that's another source. Um, you can also check with your local mental health uh, organization. Mm -hmm. They often will have resources that are available that uh, you can use for assessments. And they may also have some resources that can be available to help you as a parent. So those, mm -hmm. are, those are three uh, places that I think parents can begin with. But the point is you need to be begin and you need to get this child assessed. They're probably going to go screaming and kicking and fighting yeah. about it, but, uh, but you're the parent. So uh, you have to insist that, uh, that if you suspect this type of substance uh, abuse is going on, you need to get it assessed. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, have you, you know, look, I haven't been through this with my, with my kids and I was, uh, I was a pretty good kid. So I didn't do this when I was, <laughs> I'll speak for myself, not for uh, you know, other people I know. Um, but um, so can you see a turnaround? Like when you, when you have a child who is a child, a teen, who is using drugs and alcohol and or, um, and, and they have that addictions assessment, they have a physical, they have a, um, the, the neuropsychological assessment. Are you able to see them turn around and, and stop them from using the, the, the drugs? Well, it, it depends on what's going on. Um, if you have a child, for example, that you discover is using marijuana for anxiety, a lot of kids that I worked with used marijuana to medicate anxiety. If you have a child who is using a substance because they're depressed or they're suicidal or they have some other issue going on, uh, the, it will be very important that you not just treat the substance abuse. You have to treat the underlying issue. Um, mm. if, if you were just to treat, say, the marijuana use and you weren't, to help, and you weren't able to treat the anxiety, you, you may keep them away from marijuana for a short period of time. But if you haven't helped that child with the anxiety, chances are they're going to return back to marijuana. So if you have a child who does have an underlying issue, no matter what it is, treatment needs to involve dealing with the, the substance abuse and the underlying issue. Now, if there are no underlying issues, that's great. You want to know that too. You want to rule that out. So now you have a child that's just smoking marijuana because maybe they like getting high. That would, that would lead to a different treatment than say a child who has these underlying issues that need a more extensive treatment. But regardless of, of, of what you're facing as a parent, there is hope. There is, there is hope that the child can recover, that the child can move away from the substance and, and you, the child and the family can, can both recover. Um, as long as you get these assessments and you get the treatment, there is hope. Our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves. So whether you're an adult or an adolescent, once you stop using the substance, our brain has a remarkable uh, capacity to, to heal itself. So healing and recovery is, is possible. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to say too, that if your child is using drugs and alcohol, that is an extremely hard road to go down 
with your child, for the entire family, for you, for their siblings. And so what it really shows us is how important that prevention is, right? How important it is. Look, if you are listening to this now, this is your call to action to really drop everything and start connecting with your child, start building that relationship with your child and not from a place of fear, but from a place of, of, of true connection so that you know that you are the safe place for your child because I, that is work, but that work is worth it. That will pay off for a lifetime versus ignoring it until it becomes a problem. And that work is you don't have a choice. You have to do that work and that it's hard. It is gut-wrenching and your child's life hangs in the balance, right? Would you agree? I would agree. It is an investment. It's an investment in your child. It's an investment in, in your family. Uh, it, it is hard work, but it is work that can pay great dividends. Um, you, you do not want to be uh, like so many parents that, that, that I worked with, who after I explained to them their child's history of using substances, and I, and I explained to them the diagnosis, they looked at me and they said, I had no idea this was going on. Or they would say, well, I, I suspected something was going on, but I had no idea it was this bad. So um, I agree with everything you're saying, Robin, developing that relationship, investing, investing in that relationship. It, it's hard work, it takes time, but it pays tremendous dividends. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, truly, I, I want to say and invite anybody listening to me, that is what I help parents do. That is the core of what I do is help them to understand their child. And if they don't to seek understanding and build that connection, because it feels good to be connected to your child. And that's what they need. That's what they crave. That's how they're wired, right? To be connected with us. So um, I just want to thank you so much for sharing this. Is there anything else that you want to, uh, as we sort of close out here, that you want to mention that, that will help kids aside from your book, The Addicted Child and where they can get that? Uh, I, I would say that um, you know, as a parent, um, become as knowledgeable as you can about what's going on. Uh, but I, I agree with what you said, Robin, uh, in, invest as much time as you can in developing that relationship with your child. It doesn't matter if your child is a preteen, is a teenager, um, or even an adult. Um, you know, you can, you can connect with that child. And one of the one of the best ways to do that is to develop a skill where you can have a conversation with them where you are listening to their feelings as well as their words you're reflecting back those feelings and you're having a conversation that is really a it's a two-way conversation not a one-way conversation mm, yeah and parents listen more than you talk right? Yes. <laughs> Zip it because they don't need a lecture. They don't need a lecture. They've heard no. this stuff before. So, uh, and you have very kindly provided us with um, uh, just, just a, a resource helping your child through difficult times, um, which, is which is available in the, uh, the Parent Toolbox yes. uh, membership site. So thank you so much for that, Richard. And I cannot wait to talk to you again. Um, I mean, I say that I can't wait. I'm sorry that we have to have these conversations, to be honest. I wish I didn't have to talk to you, but it is a reality and we do have to face it head on and just, you know, knowledge is power. So having you uh, is 
wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Robin. Um, it, it is a difficult subject. It, it, it's a subject that many parents, I think, uh, want to avoid, and, and then ultimately they confront when they're not prepared for it. Um, and, and that's really why I wrote my book, The Addicted Child, a, uh, is for parents to educate them, to give them a sense of hope and, and direction on what to do. So if they visit my website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Uh, they can see more information. They can read uh, some articles um, and, and they can order uh, both the book and the parent workbook uh, off of the website. And I would really encourage parents if, to, to buy both the book and the workbook. Uh, um, they can get the book on, a, on, a, on, a, on their tablet for less than $4. Um, and, and, and the workbook is really designed to help parents work through this process them, themselves. There's a couple of exercises, for example, on how to work with anxiety, how to help with anxiety. So both the, the, the main book and the workbook are available on the book's website. Well, that is fantastic. And everything will be in the show notes for people uh, in order to get in touch with you, to buy your book, to look at your resources. Um, all of that is just so valuable. Thank you for helping us through this. This is so wonderful. Thank you again, Richard. Well, thank you, Robin, and uh, thank you for your comments and, and your insight, too, because I think they were very helpful as well. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe, and if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.